I feel like sometimes people have this perception of adoption that you're going to adopt a baby that's going to fit perfectly mm-hmm. into your family. It's going to feel like it came out of your vagina. And <laughs> yep. there's going to be no effort that needs to be done. Okay. In my case, yeah. that definitely did not happen. <laughs> Mom doesn't have a uterus <laughs> anymore. Good point. And I'm brown. Ladies in the Wild is one conversation with two completely different lenses. I'm Sharice Corbin. I'm Cecilia Corbin, and we're two sisters with a 21-year age gap. These two decades cause us to have some pretty different ideas about life. So, we decided to sit down and talk about the ways these 21 years shape our perspectives to the world around us. One conversation, two lenses. Because life is a wild ride. Welcome to to Ladies in the Wild. We would like to welcome you to the second episode of Ladies in the Wild. (laughs) Wow. So today, let's just jump right into it. We're going to dive right in. We're diving in the deep end of the pool. Yes. The eight foot end. Yes. (laughs) Today, we are going to talk about the subject of adoption Mm -hmm. and what it's like to be a part of a multicultural family. Yes. Is that a good way to say it? How would you say it? I think I would say multi-ethnic family, but I mean, we are multicultural because we were, we have two different cultures in this family. We have a South African culture and we have an American culture. So both definitions work. And we have two really different perspectives because this is something that you were very involved in and affected your life big time, Sharice. So we're going to get to hear both my perspective as being an adopted child and you as having an adopted sibling. I mean, I just got really excited right now. Isn't that so fun? Yes, it is. As we always like to do at the beginning of our conversation, let's set the foundation. (laughs) Laying the foundation. I'm going to start with that. Please do. And give you guys just a a tiny synopsis. I'm just going to give you a short. What a sexy word, synopsis. (sighs) That was good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm very smart. (laughs) Um, Yes, you are. um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on just how this whole adoption process happened. How did you end up with a brown little beauty (laughs) like me? Well, what happened was I always wanted a sibling Mm -hmm. from the time I can remember. And so when I was 11 years old, mom and dad decided, hey, we're going to leave America and leave our television career and everything we're doing here. And we're going to go to South Africa because we're crazy adventurous people. And that's what we do. And so mom really wanted to have another child. Mm Mm-hmm. Because mom wanted to have another kid, she brought all the baby stuff that she had saved after having me, the crib and the high chair and all the baby stuff. She packed it in a container and took it to Africa. She literally lugged it across an ocean. Yes. (laughs) To another continent. Yes. Let's just picture that, people. Continue. And this is... This was special because it was dad's baby stuff that I used that then her next child was going to use because mom wanted to have a kid so much. So we got to Africa and not long after that, mom started getting really sick and she went to the doctor and found out that she had endometriosis and she was in fact 
going to have to have a full hysterectomy. Mm. And she was 38 years old. And so this was extremely sad for her because it shattered her dreams of having another child. And it was very confusing because she always felt like God had planned for her to have another kid. And suddenly that choice was just completely taken away from her. Uh, So... Let's fast forward. (laughs) Ten years. That's the fast forward noise. Thank you, Cecilia. Ooh, we don't even need a Foley expert because we've got (laughs) Cecilia. I'm just over here. Doing our sound effects. So fast forward. (laughs) Ten years later, uh, I just remember getting a call when I was 21 and a senior in college from mom and dad. And they said, Sharice... We met this amazing baby girl, and I'm going to get teared up right now, and we want to adopt her. How do you feel about that? Because we want to make sure that you're on board, too, because you're a part of this family, too. And I said, yes, a hundred times yes. And at that point, I had never met you. Mm -hmm. I had only seen pictures of you. And back then, we didn't have, you know, like video on our phone that we Mm -hmm. could even share. So I had just seen pictures and I, without hesitation, said 100% yes, because I had always wanted a sibling and here finally I was getting one. Then the adoption process started and it was a big process. At the time when mom and dad wanted to adopt you, it was completely illegal for Mm -hmm. Americans to adopt South Africans. So my parents had to actually go before the court and fight for Cecilia and say, this is why we are the best people to adopt her and you need to allow us to have our baby mm-hmm. you finally got to america Lil fro came to america uh, i think at about do you remember i think you were eight months old mm. and that's the first time i met you mom and dad wow. were fundraising that year and you guys flew in and that's that's when i met you and then at a year old you were adopted wow what was it like to basically get a call one day and find out okay, I have a new sibling. Like, this is happening. And there was no nine months. There was no preparation, all of this. In one day, your whole family structure changed. What was that like for you? That's such an interesting question because I think the reality is that I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm. I just knew that I wanted a sibling all my life and I felt like God was finally giving me my sibling and mom her second child and I just knew that it was God. I knew that it was God's gift to our family, that it was meant to be, that it was purposed. So I knew that, but I didn't really think ahead and think, oh, this is what this is actually going to mean for my life. This Mm -hmm. is how my life's going to change. And this is how our family's going to change. I didn't think about all that. Nor if I did, would I have even been able to understand Mm -hmm. what that meant. I just knew that you were meant to be in our family. I knew that. Now, in hindsight, okay, because hindsight is 2020, people. Tell us, what is it like from that 21-year-old you hearing that to now, whatever age you are, you, (laughs) having a sibling, how has that changed your life or affected? Because you had 21 years before you had a sibling. You had a completely different life. What is it like now having a sibling integrated into your life and how did that change your life? At 21, it was 
life-altering to suddenly have a baby in the house. And for part of my senior year, I shared a room with you. (laughs) What a saint you are. And you were a baby in a crib and I was a college student. Yeah, I would be up all night writing papers and then I'd be trying to sleep in the morning and then you would wake up and you would say, Shaisi, I wake. And you'd try to wake me up and I would just ignore you and pretend like I didn't (laughs) hear you until mom came and got you. And then the summer after my senior year, I was actually kind of your nanny where I took care of you. And so I would take you out. You loved going out. You always do. Yeah, (laughs) still do. So I would I would take you out all the time. And that was interesting mm-hmm. because walking around with the stroller with you, people just assumed you were my kid mm-hmm. and that I just was with a black guy. And a lot of times I didn't want to explain. Like I said last time, I just yeah, don't you feel don't like tend it's, to enjoy doing that. It's not other people's business unless they really care. So I would just say, yeah, thanks. She is a beautiful baby. <laughs> But it really rocked my world because I went from being an only child where everything was about me mm-hmm. and focused on me, which uh, who doesn't love that, <laughs> to having a baby where everything is going to be focused on the baby, mm-hmm. obviously. So that was a shift for me. And like you'd get into my stuff, which irritated the heck out of me. Like you ruined some of my makeup. And there were things that you like normally my stuff was my stuff. Mm -hmm. It was always in the place I left it. And you would disrupt my life. So I had to get over some of that stuff. But then, I mean, there's just so many facets. What a growing experience. Yeah, it was good for me. It was really, because sharing is caring. (laughs) You can thank me for what you are today, in part. I genuinely believe that you are the best thing that ever happened to our family and to me and just the joys of having a sibling and another best friend Mm. to do life with, to navigate mom and dad with, (laughs) to not be alone in all of the family stuff, but to have someone else to lean on has been really wonderful. Mm. So, okay, let's highlight the age gap a little bit. Mm -hmm. What is it like navigating having a sibling who you are so much older than? How does that affect your relationship? Um, When you were little, it was easy because I was just kind of helping take care of you and more of a parental role. But then when you got to be about 11, it got rocky. Rocky. It got rocky. And one of the- not like the Rocky Road ice cream people. Uh, well, actually, I hate ice cream, so that would... <laughs> For Sharice, that metaphor works very well. Yeah, because we were sharing a two-bedroom apartment when you were 11. You guys mm-hmm. were in L.A. at the time. And basically, at that point in your life, you sat me down and you said, Sharice, I already have two parents. I don't need a third parent telling me what to do. And that just kind of slapped me in the face because it's true. You don't need somebody else telling you what to do. You needed a sister. And here I had been a parent because I was so much older and I had to like let that go, mm-hmm. keep my mouth shut and just be a sister. And that was a learning curve for me. But I feel like once I did that, our relationship just changed for the better. Mm-hmm. 
you've told me this story multiple times about me sitting you down and saying that. I don't have any recollection of that conversation. But I do have kind of a recollection of the time that we were going through and like the season of life that that was in. And so I just remember being an 11 slash 12 year old in middle school, which is the absolute worst time in your life. <laughs> the like, worst. The, I mean, it's just middle school is disgusting and you're yeah. disgusting when you're in middle school yeah. and it's just horrible. And being in this new city, I just remember feeling like, okay, I just need, I need a friend and someone to confide in. And you know what? We have parents who have high expectations of us. I think that, would you agree with that? Yes. And they, I think, have done a wonderful job of setting us up for success. So I've never felt like I didn't have the tools that I needed to meet those expectations but I I already felt like I had two people that had set a high bar for me and I just needed somebody to be like a respite and a buddy for me. And I, unbeknownst to you, mom hears things because mom knows everything. Yes, she does. And she had to sit down and talk to me about letting you be an adult and not trying to make you an a type of sibling who was just two years older than me Mm. and learning to acknowledge you know what your sister is older than you she's lived a lot more life than you and that's going to mean that she's going to offer you input at different points and you can just receive it because she wants it for your best so she's not trying to boss you around she's not being rude to you you can just take it and you don't have to do everything that she tells you but she has wisdom to offer you and it would benefit you to hear it And so when I was finally able to release my grasp on this notion that you and I were going to be like siblings who were just two years apart, that helped me so much. And then you really became somebody that I would confide in. We've always been close. I think that's one thing that would surprise people Mm -hmm. because of our age gap. Yeah. We owe that a lot to our mom, truthfully. She really facilitated conversation between us. I remember as a five and six-year-old staying up later, like past my bedtime, so I could talk to you on the phone, and I would talk and talk and talk. (laughs) And You talked a lot when you were little. Well, has much changed? Not so much. And you really are my my first confidant. You really are my best friend. And I think that's, that is rare from my understanding for people who are in a similar position to us. And so I think it just goes to show that when you invest in it and when you're intentional about connecting, age gaps or adoption doesn't have to be a big thing and it doesn't have to, it can unite your family more than anything. It doesn't have to be something that causes division, um, which I feel like is kind of a stigma of like, yeah. if we adopt a child, this is going to just upheave our lives. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be the best thing that happens to you and your family. I feel like a lot of people are kind of afraid of adoption because they've heard horror stories or What do you think made it different for you? Like, why did your adoption story Mm. go so well? And why did you not have issues that other families have? I want to commend both our parents for the way that they approached our adoption. My dad was such an advocate for me being adopted into this family. And he did so much of the groundwork when it came to just the legal issue of me trying to be adopted. And I really feel like for him, there just came a day where he made a choice where he was like, this is my kid and this 
my kid is going to be in my family. And then our mom is such an advocate for adoption, but she, our mom just did the work. So I feel like sometimes people have this perception of adoption that you're going to adopt a baby that's going to fit perfectly mm-hmm. into your family. It's going to feel like it came out of your vagina. And <laughs> yeah. There's going to be no effort that needs to be done. Okay, in my case, that definitely did not happen. (laughs) Mom doesn't have a uterus (laughs) anymore. Good point. And I'm brown, okay? So there are things that we have to acknowledge. Like, we have to acknowledge that this is not my birth family. And I think mom was wonderful at doing that. I always heard stories about my birth mother. My mom commended her and prayed for her and told me how much she loved and valued my birth mother. So she normalized this transition for me. She normalized that I wasn't born in her tummy like you were. Mm -hmm. And so even as a young child, that was something I was really comfortable with talking about. And I could explain that to other people. And the phrase we used a lot when I was little, she would say, you were born in my heart instead of in my stomach. Yeah. And she talked to me a lot about my adoption. And I think that's important. If your kid has a different family of origin, a different place where their life began, that is part of their story Mm -hmm. and their journey. There's no need to pretend that that doesn't exist. The other thing I think too, I can remember being a little kid and mom reading me books about kids who had adoptive families. I keep coming back to this world of normalized me being adopted. It wasn't weird. It wasn't something we tried to hide. And my dad talked very openly about that. And so when he could tell people had questions, he would just explain our situation and he would say, this is my biological daughter. This is my adoptive daughter. But I love that they always used the term like daughter. It, mm. I would always had a clear and defined place in this family. I may have been adopted, but I am a Corbin. I've known that since I was a little kid. Them talking about our family heritage helped integrate me into this family. And then there was always the freedom for me to ask questions about yeah. my biological family. And that was never something that we shied away from. I'm really lucky. I have um, a godmother who is the person who did counseling with my biological mother during her pregnancy. And my godfather is the doctor who delivered me. And I had a really close relationship with them for my whole life. And so they were always a resource for me to ask questions. But then I also want to say that I really believe, like you had noted earlier, there is an element of God's divine hand in my adoption They were old, (laughs) older. I was going to say, and that was really hard for mom and dad because they were freaked out about their age. Mom Mm -hmm. was 46 and dad was 48 and they just felt like we're too old to adopt. We can't do this. You know, my, my mom was like, I've got my mom's in diapers and my little baby's in diapers (laughs) at the same time. And I'm going to be 68 when she graduates from college and all of those fears about being too old. If they had let their fear Mm -hmm. be the driving and deciding factor, then this would never have happened. And it was the best thing that happened to all of us. My life was forever radically changed because of this adoption. So I just, I really believe adoption is something that should be more prevalent in our culture. But I do think you need to pray about it. I think you need to really look at your family and 
process through the ways that that's going to affect your family and people need to be on board. Yeah. That helped so much that all three of you were on board and wanted to do this. So it never felt like I was some burden or like I was a project. I have always felt wholly and completely in this family and that this was my family. What is it like having older parents? This is something that I've wrestled with for my whole life too. I don't think that I could be who I am or have the gifts that God has given me cultivated as they have been without our parents being older. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I'm i not going to deny age brings a wisdom and an understanding to life mm -hmm. that is so beneficial. You just see life completely differently when you're older. And so by having older parents, I think I've really had the benefit of having some of those perspectives and put it into my own heart. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram person. So going back to that, I think that really contributed to my nineness so much. Mm, her nineness. It just feeds my nineness so well because, um, yeah, it's we live in a pretty peaceful home. <laughs> we're not crazy. We're not wild. And I've really just been so blessed to have been given a lot of the wisdom that they have had. And so now this point, it does present some challenges, you know what I mean? To see your parents aging, to see them in pain, to see them not able to do the same things is difficult. So it does adjust our life a little bit. The way we do things, I think, is a little bit different than if we had parents who were 35 or 40. But I, again, this I'm biased because this has been my experience, but I have way more positive things to say about age gaps and older families than I do negative. It has really fueled the things that I'm passionate about, I think. So our father is an incredible writer and he, because he's older, he's just had the wisdom and experience of doing that for so long and has the time to help me when I need it. The same thing for our mom. Our mom is such a gift to our whole family yes. just because of how available she is. She is such an available person. She's the glue. She is the glue. And with our mom, I've never doubted that being our mother is so a part of what she wants to do. Yeah. And so she just invests and invests and invests mm -hmm. in us. And there's really nothing that you ask her that you need or you need her input on or her help with that she doesn't do. Right. And Sometimes parents who are younger don't always have the luxury of doing that. Yeah, I also find that encouraging because I'm 42 and still single. And when I, I've always wanted to adopt. And when I adopt children, I will now be older as well. And I can just see how well it's worked for our family. And that just gives me more courage and peace of mind for myself. And also, Cecilia has me. Mm -hmm. And... I will be around for her and for her kids and I have Cecilia and she will be around for mm -hmm. me and my kids. And so even though our parents are so much older, we still have a family structure mm -hmm. so that we're not going to be alone. There and will I, still be someone to take the kids on roller coasters. Yes, there you go. Yes, there <laughs> will. Because now I'm getting to the age where I'm like, whoa, woozy after you a roller coaster. You should just be a cougar. I think that's really it. Well, I think I mean, that's what's going to solve this problem. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm, women live longer anyway. Yes. I And I look so good for my age. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. When the time is right for that. <laughs> my life is very simple and happy right now. I don't need to add anything <laughs> unless it's the right thing. 
I'm just going to rewind a tiny bit because I think this is an interesting point to bring out is that back when my parents were thinking about adopting Cecilia, not everybody was on board. So my parents were missionaries at the time. I guess they had to present to the organization that they were affiliated with the fact that they wanted to adopt a child. So they did that and there was like a vote taken and not everybody that voted was on board. And these were some people that we were close with. That was really discouraging. Mm. And I think at the time, there hadn't been missionaries that had adopted babies from their countries. And they were just afraid that adopting like a local kid and bringing them into their home and still living in that country could present problems in working with the national church. That was really hard. Mm. I feel like mom and dad have always been, as I like to say, righteous rebels. Mm. Mom and dad don't do what is necessarily expected or even thought to be right. They do what they feel like is right for them and what they feel like God has called them to do, Mm. regardless of what other people think. That's true. People thought mom and dad were crazy for moving to Africa. Mm -hmm. People thought mom and dad were crazy for adopting at their age and for adopting a black South African baby. Mm -hmm. But they knew that this is what they were supposed to do. So they said, well, we don't care if you like it or not. We're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, it was illegal (laughs) for Americans to adopt South Africans. So they kind of ran into hurdles all along the way. Mm -hmm. But they just, they knew that they knew that this is what they were supposed to do. And they did it. And then since your adoption, a lot more uh, missionaries adopted Mm -hmm. babies. And it almost kind of became a normal thing. Mm -hmm. But mom and dad were the first. Mm -hmm. And now everybody would say, oh my gosh, adopting Cecilia was the best thing that they ever did. All those people that voted against it. They just needed to see it work. I mean, what speaks more volume than to be able to say to the people that you work with, I love you guys so much that I'm adopting you into my family. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you my last name. I'm adopting you into my family because I love you so much. Like, I'm not just a white American here working with the African people. Like, I am your family. Mm -hmm. And that's what mom and dad did. That really became a powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I want people to know this can work and it can be so wonderful and so beneficial. And it's going to take effort. You can't just adopt and hope that everything is going to go perfectly. But when you invest and you are purposeful in the way that you do it, it can be just one of the best things that has ever happened to you. And both of us can say this is something that we will do in our families. We will have adopted children um, because we believe in it so much. I think one of the really big questions that people would want to know is, how do you feel about your biological mother? And do you have a desire to have a relationship with her? That's a good question. So my response to this has definitely evolved over time. When I was younger, I was kind of apathetic to the whole notion. I felt like my family structure was complete. I had a mom, I had a dad, I had a sibling. I've heard other adoptive children talk about like this longing and this hole or the side of them they needed to understand. I did not have that. I felt very secure in my attachments and in the family structure that I had. 
So I was pretty apathetic to her, towards her as a younger person. Didn't talk about my birth mother very often. My mom was the person who talked about her. But I didn't feel resentful. I want to note that too. I wasn't resentful against her. I just, it wasn't significant to me um, to talk about her. And then as I got older, other people started bringing it up more. Mm. And so I had to start thinking about it because people would say, well, where's your real mom? Or, Uh. you know don't you miss your birth mother? Or like, did you ever know her? So other people would bring this up constantly. And so I was forced to finally examine what is my feeling about my birth mother in this situation. I am so thankful for mom and the way that she just always spoke so highly of my birth mother because she helped me shape my perspective. And so the things that mom always told me were that my birth mother was such a gift, that she made such a sacrifice for me to be here, that she was a wonderful woman Mm -hmm. and that she loved me a great deal and that her love was displayed in her willingness to give me up for adoption. God really had to work in my heart because he had to help remove the apathy because I just didn't want to deal with it. And I felt like people wanted me to cry and have this sob (laughs) story that I just didn't have. Like, I felt okay. And probably around 17, he started working on my heart and just birthing in me this deep respect and regard for my birth mother, where I was able to understand the significance of what she had done. And then I was finally able to talk about it. And so I started sharing more. I started asking questions of my godparents because they had actually met her. This last year, I even learned that my birth mother had come back to check on me several times and make sure that I was doing well with my new family. And all of that to say, like, Now I have such an admiration for what she did. She was a single parent with multiple other children before she had me. And for her to be willing to carry me to term and then give me up for adoption and I was healthy, like that was the other thing. And I just, I think she's a wonderful, incredible person. I, at this point, still don't really have a desire to reconnect with my birth family Um, We'll see what happens with that. And I think that's in part just because of what God has done in my adoptive family. So I just, we have so many cousins. (laughs) We have so (laughs) many, like our, our family is huge because we have a blended family on one, you know, one side of our cousins is like a blended family. We just have this incredible family structure um, that I don't really have that feeling of anything being missing. So that's something that I am just kind of like letting the Lord lead me. And if I ever feel like there's a time that I need to reconnect, then I will. Yeah, I I really love and respect my birth mother. I think she's an incredible woman. And I'm so thankful for everything that she did to make my life possible to give me the opportunity to be adopted. Well, and one of, I think, the interesting parts of that story to bring out is that your birth mother already had three kids when she mm-hmm. was pregnant with you. And so she was going to have an abortion because mm-hmm. she didn't know what else to do. She had no money. She couldn't afford another kid. So she went to a clinic to have an abortion. But what she didn't realize was she actually went to where Cecilia's godparents were working and Cecilia's godmother counseled her that there was another way. So Cecilia almost didn't exist, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And your mother was so strong yeah, and so brave to carry you to term, like you were saying. That's That was a big deal for her. Absolutely. Yeah, we all have a really deep love and respect yes. for her. 
Yeah, we do. What is it like being a multi-ethnic family? I want to be careful of saying like, I just don't notice because yeah, I notice, but it's really not something that I feel like we talk about that much. I don't feel like there are any dividing lines between us. That's the best way I know how to say it. I think other people make it more of a deal exactly. than our family does. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I think we recognize it more when we're out and about and other people are bringing up this issue than we do within our own household. Yes. In part, just because this is how it's been for the last 21 years of our <laughs> lives. So this is not a surprise to us that we're different colors. And it's just so normal. It just feels so normal to us. It's not like you have to constantly come around and address this issue. And right. Like, are you okay that you're... A different color right. in this household. Like, yes. Exactly. We know. <laughs> yeah, it only becomes obvious when we're out because people have stared mm -hmm. since we have been a family. And a lot of people stare because they're just curious and wondering how this family is together. And other people stare because they don't necessarily think it's right for our family to be together. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different energies that you get from the stairs mm -hmm. you get like curious and positive and not so positive and i don't know if people would feel uncomfortable with adopting someone that doesn't look like them but they shouldn't be mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter don't let that be the thing yes. that's gonna stop you from pursuing adoption yeah yeah but if you just celebrate that fact and you normalize it and you're excited about it it becomes so normal I mean, adoption, I think, is just the most wonderful thing in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I feel like everyone should adopt, is my personal opinion. There's, um, and foster, there's so many kids out there that are just stuck in the system that need families. And if all of us did more to foster and to adopt, uh, we could really change this world for the better. And so I can't wait until I adopt my babies <sighs> and until you adopt your babies. But I just hope that this conversation was eye-opening. Yeah, maybe some people that have thought about adopting and are afraid. Maybe this would help push them over the line to say, hey, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can do this. We can do this. If the ladies in the wild can do <laughs> it, we can. We would just like to say thank you so much for joining us on this second episode of Ladies, ladies in the Wild. Until next time. See you guys. Focus up. If you would like to see the most adorable photos of Cecilia with a baby fro on her adoption day and with her God family, go check out our Instagram page at Ladies in the Wild Podcast or our website at ladiesinthewild.org. And if you have any questions or comments or your own adoption story that you'd like to share with us, please leave that in the comments on our Instagram page or on our website. And if you're enjoying this podcast, why not give us five stars and write a review on Apple Podcasts? That really helps us to get the word out. This has been a production of CNC Think Factory. All conversations and opinions produced by Sharice and Cecilia Corbin. Graphics by Sharice Corbin. Additional writing by Cecilia Corbin. Editing by Sharice Corbin. And original music by the most amazing composer, Jason Brandt. <laughs>